you have plenty of road you know ahead of you let's think about where you want to be in the future and that's it sounds so easy on paper but it's really difficult you're listening to the no labels no limits podcast with best-selling author sarah box we focus on the mantra no labels no limits no excuses and now without further ado please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart sarah box Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. Welcome back. I'm Sarah Box, your host of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, where you know we are on a mission to help individuals, teams, and organizations think outside the box, move beyond limiting beliefs and labels, and create a profound impact in their own lives and in the world around them. So with that, we always have guests who bring something new to the table. Someone who has a new idea, something inspiring, who can help us think slightly differently, maybe, about the way we've been thinking. And then all of a sudden, things open up and we go, oh, I got that little light bulb moment. So that's what I live for, those light bulb moments. And today we have a great guest, Allison Hall. Now, she has a remarkable background as a CPA and corporate strategist. Strategist already got my heart going, Allison. She's the founder of Change Agent Coaching for Women and co-founder of The Boldest Me. And after 25 successful years in the corporate world, she embarked on a journey of entrepreneurship, establishing thriving businesses. And her mission today is to ignite confidence in women, helping them discover their strengths, purpose, and the path to the lives they truly deserve. And I'm really excited because she just mentioned before we started recording, she's actually dropped that down to the younger women and entrepreneurship. So I'm going to ask her about that, what she, her newest passion project and kind of where that's led her. And mainly she believes it's never too late for us to chase our dreams. And with only one life to live, it's time to get cracking on it. So with that, let's formally welcome Allison Hall to the No Labels, No Limits podcast. Thank you so much, Sarah. That's that, I sound really impressive on paper. <laughs> like, who is that person? You are impressive. <laughs> you don't just sound impressive. You are impressive. Um, and folks, if you're looking on video, you're going to see that Allison has a ukulele in the background. I asked, was she going to play? That's a hard no. It's a hard pass. No. But I did ask on our behalf. So this will be a conversation, not a music recital. But Allison, I want to ask, in your own journey to empowering women, you know, you've mentioned the idea of leaving a legacy of generational wealth for your family, for our families. Um, and I'm really curious about that, having kids and grandkids. Can you share some insights or advice on how our listeners can even think about that and then just start taking steps in that direction? Yeah, you know, I, I, I live in, I mentioned, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and I just heard on the news the other day that we are fortunately in the public schools uh, putting in a program such that seniors before they graduate have to take a class in finance. That has been a woefully underrepresented area of um, you know, education for kids for so long in public schools. I mean, I think a lot of us are probably familiar with the junior achievement program that goes into schools, but it doesn't go into all schools and it's not required, certainly. So kids can get all the way out of high school without having even basic common sense about finance. So that's job one. If your school doesn't have it, you absolutely need to teach your kids about money, about credit cards. We live in the world of credit. You know, what does it mean to have credit? Why is it important? You can start young because a lot of kids get jobs that say, you know, depending on where you are, 14, 15, 16, what's the importance of saving? You know, there's just so many financial basics that kids can learn. So that's that's number one. Number two, I think, is to teach your kids that there are so many options and opportunities. I know that one of the things that that I look at now as a limit, but, you know, I made the best of it in my lifetime, was that I came up in a time period and in a family where my mom was an attorney, my dad was a, and he's a, a physician, but he worked in corporate America. And so my mindset was doctor, lawyer, you know, corporate professional. And I ended up going into the corporate world, but there are so many other options. Even going to college is not necessarily the thing for every kid. 
being an entrepreneur, you know, if you have a passion about something, something that you can make money from, you know, those kind of, those are the kinds of conversations to start having with kids as young as six and seven, you know, that's, yeah. That's so good. if you, okay, so if you didn't have that in your background and you're growing up, right, mm-hmm. um, and I did, my mom opened up a bank account for me when I think I was 12, and then, you know, of course her name was on it. But the first time I got a job, man, my money, she goes, no, you put your money in there. If you want it, you can take it out. But right. let's put it in, right? So I just got in the habit of like, it's where I, it's my big purse, right? It's my purse in the bank. <laughs> I love that. But I didn't use it much because, you know, I was young. I wasn't making a ton. But I didn't learn about finances per se until I got more out in the world. And because um, that wasn't a part of our high school there was junior achievement. I was not in junior achievement. Um, so I'm thinking of the folks, maybe the parents who didn't get that learning on their own. How do they start that with their kids, though? Because if you're not comfortable, how many of us as parents have said, oh, I hope my kid doesn't ask me for any statistical homework help, <laughs> right? Like, don't pick me. So how do we teach, right? How do we do that? You know, that's that's such a great question, and we are so fortunate to live in the times in which we live. You know, things are ever moving in a in a new direction, especially with AI and things like that. But but there's some programs that have been that have been around for a while that are online. Uh, one in particular is Greenlight, where you can get your child, a, you know, it's basically a debit credit card, and they learn how to invest with it. They learn how to save with it. So there are people who've already done. The, the homework for you. You don't have to be, you know, all things, all people. You can find resources. There are plenty of great books that are out, one of which I've written. And, you know, you can learn along. <clears throat> Excuse me. You asked me if I needed water. Of course, I proclaimed that I did not. <laughs> but you can learn along with your child. You know, kids don't necessarily expect you to be the arbiter of all things, you know. Kids also love it when a parent is doing something or a grandparent is doing something with them. So creating a project for you and your kids, I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic way to help them learn and learn yourself so you can support them. That really is a good point because it's fun to learn alongside someone oftentimes rather than being taught or talked down to like, oh, right. clearly you don't understand this. Let me tell you versus like, hey, let's figure it out together. Let's let's save for something together. You know, right. plan on it. And you know, so kids, nice they're much one. more likely to listen to you if you are, are being participant. If you're not telling them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all those memories come back so easy. Well, thanks for telling me what I should be doing. I'll figure it out. Exactly. And you figure it out, and it's what you were told to do. So, but I, I do think it's important because, you know, credit now is expensive. Credit's expensive and not having savings is a risk. So that whole thing about learning how to save and what proportion that is, um, it's it is important. You know, we just recently loaned the the bank of grandma and grandpa. We just recently loaned one of our grandkids some money to buy a used car. And he goes, No, no one's gonna give me a loan because I don't have credit. My husband says, Bank of Grandma and Grandpa will, but you're going to sign a note, right? We know right. he's good for it. He's got a job. No, I wrote a promissory notice payment schedule. Today was the first payment. Sure enough, came right in, right? I oh. said, how do you want to pay? And he goes, can I Venmo you guys? I said, sure. <laughs> right great. on time. But, yeah. you know, but the questions we asked first was before we did it, we knew, we said, how much are you making? Because we didn't want to bleed him dry. You know, it's like, right. you know what? This is what happens when you go to a dealership. They'll say, how much can you pay? Wrong question. What income are you making? You know, that was our thought. Like, he needs to live. He's going to college, all that stuff. But I don't know that there was anybody else who would have asked him those questions. And my husband goes, you know, if it were me, I would have just given him the money. I says, I know. And that's not how he grows. Right. Exactly. So grandma's right in the promissory note. Um, But I just think those little things, they don't have to be huge, but that's the thing about a cadence of a loan and what does it mean and how do you build credit? And so does Greenlight help folks do that? Yes, yes. And, you know, it also helps. And again, I'm not a sponsor for Greenlight. I I know. I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. But it's one of the programs out there that helps kids also. You know, a lot of people, a lot of adults have done well in their lives, but maybe haven't spent much time investing. Right. Maybe they've saved and you know, bought a home or something like that, but they haven't invested much. 
you know, the majority of adults, middle-aged adults, most of their investing is through their 401k. And that's not an active decision-making thing. The kids can start right now and be on the trajectory to have millions by the time they're middle-aged, you know, if they start now with investing. Uh, yeah, so programs like Greenlight really help kids understand how to do it. And it helps their parents understand as well. And it's in a controlled environment where the parents can see everything that's happening and green light, whether or not a purchase is going to be made, things like that. Oh, okay. So that explains the name. Yeah, I think so. Cool. <laughs> Again, well, let's just say for you and me, it explains. It makes sense. Yeah. It works. <laughs> so, but I do, I want to back you up and, you know, right before we started recording, you said you had written a book for younger girls on entrepreneurship. And I'm all things entrepreneurship and especially young women working or having control or having a, whatever they describe, right? So what was the motivation? Tell us about the book and then what that has led to. You know, that's so interesting. What was the motivation? I really think it's just I have a passion for entrepreneurship and I really thought about the story that I just told about my own life, that it really wasn't, you know, of course I knew about people having businesses and I, I guess I probably had family members who had businesses, but it just wasn't something that we talked about. It just had a different mindset in my family. And so becoming an entrepreneur after having a long career in the corporate world, you know, it was kind of on my own. And, and I, my first, one of my first thoughts was, gosh, I'd really love to help other women who are interested in having their own businesses or who need to have their own businesses in order to make enough money to survive and, you know, pay for their families. And then I thought, gosh, it would have been so cool to have started something when I was a kid. And that was really the impetus. And I thought, I know there are other books out here. And one of my, one thing I struggle with is um, if I find out that somebody else has already done something, then I feel like, well, in that space has already been taken. What I didn't do this time, I didn't look to see what was in that space. I thought to myself, you have thoughts in your head and you know who you want it to be for. If if the kids are interested, girls are interested, I wanted it to be for girls specifically. I wanted them to feel empowered. I wanted them to see their own pictures on the pages. And so the name of the book is Startup Smart, The Girl's Guide to Entrepreneurship. So as we were talking before we started recording, I mentioned that there was so much content that I wanted to put in, but I wanted to keep it accessible for, you know, kids. I don't want to put them in a bucket, but generally, you know, eight to 12 ish. Right. Um, so I wanted even the youngest ones to understand the concepts and get the whole thing, but not be overwhelmed. And I thought wow, there's also stuff I want to put in. I wanted to put in business plans. I had so many ideas of business ideas that kids could do. So I created a website, a companion website. And it's called The Boldest Me Kids. You mentioned in the intro, my one of my primary businesses is The Boldest Me, which is kind of an empowerment brand for women. So I thought, you know, if they're, all, if they're working with me over here, a lot of them, my clients have kids, girl kids, boy kids. This might be beneficial. So, again, passion project, not a money maker or anything like that. I'm just excited to kind of get information out to kids and. Well, how great for the people you're working with, right, to bring their kids alongside as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a win-win, I hope, yeah. Well, I think it's totally cool. And we're not excluding the boys, but I, there wow. is not enough, I think, for girls. I will tell you my first failed business. I worked for my dad. As soon as my penmanship was good, I got paid for a dressing for him. <laughs> and that was like in second grade. Consistent money coming in. That's great. But, but when I was in seventh or eighth grade, this is a little bit of larceny in my past, but I decided, you know, because I'm always curious, my, my boyfriend at the time says, I think we could make apple beer. And I'm going, that sounds really good. Well, I'm not going to drink it, right? So we get, we make the batch. It was probably disgusting. But I said, let's sell it. Let's sell it. He goes, who would we sell it to? I said, who drinks it? The eighth graders, right? We're in sixth grade, right? Sell up a couple of years. It didn't work. But, um, it occurred to me many years later that first it was illegal. His parents had no clue what was happening in his brewery. <laughs> but, but it was that whole spirit, like, hey, let's do this, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I should have met you then, but then you might have advised me, like, uh, A, there's an age issue, a licensing issue. Yeah, I'm a stickler for details. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so let's talk about then, you know, 
you went in to corporate and then you left. What was the biggest surprise for you on leaving? Because it's not like you were some failure in your corporate career. You know, <laughs> the biggest surprise maybe wasn't the surprise. I think I think a lot of people talk about um, burning out of a career. And I didn't burn out. I just rusted out. I was just sick of the whole thing. I felt like everything I was doing was pointless. I, you know, and that was probably an overstatement. There was some point to it. But you know how you feel like a cog in the whole, if they took me out, they'd shove somebody else in there. <laughs> it'd be perfectly fine. The world wasn't going to crumble. Um, but coming out, and so I didn't just walk out the door with no plan. I knew that I wanted to do something on my own. I was tired of hierarchical being. I was just tired of having somebody be the boss of me, honestly. Um, so I cannot say that entrepreneurship came extraordinarily easily. My biggest thing was that I didn't realize how many different ideas I had. So I got stuck in a lot of rabbit holes. Where I'm going, oh, I'm going to do this, and da da da, da and oh, I'm going to do that. And just way too many ideas, trying to be all things to all people. I I knew, you know, I did my research and I understood the concept of niching, you know, or niche or whatever. But I just couldn't force myself to do it. I, I just pretended it didn't have anything to do with me. What I finally that was good got for someone else. Yeah, that's that's somebody else. But what I finally realized was that I wasn't going to get traction doing anything until I did do just that. So. I have had a number of, you know, fairly successful uh, startup businesses. I've sold a couple, not in any kind of million dollar range or anything like that, but sold them to employees who really wanted to keep it going. Um, and then I, I began to cultivate what was really my passion. You know, so I started in something that maybe wasn't my passion, but I thought this is a good moneymaker. And then I realized as I went along that for me, it, it's much more important to be doing something that I really care about. Now, having some money gives you the luxury to think in that regard, right? So sometimes you do have to do things that you're not crazy about because they make money. But but having the freedom to move about, gosh, not having – just realizing how much freedom I now have was in such stark contrast to the world in which I lived where I slogged every day. You know, into, how, long did, how long did it take you from when you left that job post – to when you actually woke up and went, whoa, I feel the difference. Did you have a moment like that where you, like for me, there was, I, I woke up maybe almost a year later and I thought, I can't remember the last time I woke up in a panic about payroll because I hadn't been, right? It's like, oh, or, wow. or the business, right? right? I thought, oh, that feels so good. I hadn't realized how heavy that felt. Right. I think that a year is probably, I don't have an exact date, but I would say nine months to a year is probably about right because it did take me a long time to even realize how much stress I was carrying around and that Sundays were just, it was like having PTSD. Like every Sunday night, I still for a long time, I get that anxious feeling like, oof, you know, of having to go into work. And I don't know what I was, I don't even know where the anxiety came from, but I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling. Yeah. Where you sabotage yourself and stay up way past your bedtime because you don't want to go to bed because you have to go to work the next day, you know? Well, and that, for me to be that anticipatory, okay, I better be really, really ready for the week because who knows what's going to happen. I've, I've got the first hour I've got control over, and then after that, who knows, right? So and that for yeah. me doesn't fly. It's not a good, it's not a, not a good place for me to live because it just gets me anxious. I like right. to have some patterns to my day. Um, and I question you know, for you, and, and, sure. and you know, if I can ask a question, how long did it take you to feel that being your own boss was was this was the last part of the journey? Like you're never going to go back? Because I, I asked <laughs> that part I knew right away. Um, because even when I thought, okay, what if this doesn't work out? I thought, ah, oh, you know, I can get a part time job anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. But do you have those thoughts now? About working? No. No, I think about, I, I do worry sometimes about like making sure like we don't have enough happening for the folks who are working like the team because it's a vendor team and I really want to let people count on what's coming in. That kind of worries me a little, but um, I don't have that stress. And mostly what I have is like when someone comes up with a great idea and says, hey, I wonder if we could do this. So for instance, this gal I know I met, She's a researcher and she focuses on highly sensitive people. 
So we're just in this other group, but she said, I'm really curious about how this and this would intersect, right? And one's like an area that I've got knowledge and she's super knowledgeable. I said, well, let's just do a little miniature research project, right? <laughs> how do you do that? You don't do that stuff on someone else's dime, you no. know? But I said, oh, I'm so curious about that. She goes, I'm curious about like where highly sensitive people and the Enneagram types might overlap. And then where do they show up in organizations? I'm just curious about patterns. And if we could help people who are trying to be leaders understand themselves. And I said, let's look, let's find out. So that's what I love about being my own boss. Right. And I think I was always my own boss as a kid. I worked for myself until someone told me I should actually run this nonprofit. And, um, and I liked it. I loved the work. I love the people is what I loved. I love the, the purpose and the people. But I'm not a really good uh, obeyer. Right. <laughs> I think I might have a little passive aggressive streak in me. You and I are kindred spirits. I understand it. <laughs> yeah. You know, when the biggest complaint is you didn't do what we told you to do, I'm thinking, right, but I'm the executive director and I have other responsibilities. You're a board member. I appreciate that. Exactly. We're a governing body, <laughs> but and but I still I'm passionate about nonprofits. I am, but yeah. also from the business perspective of it, because the one thing I do remember, which is totally off our topic, is I think of nonprofits had more of that entrepreneurial mind bend, right? Like how do I think about the staying nimble, recognizing we have a different mandate than a for-profit business, but they're very they're businesses. Make no mistake, they are businesses. And so many of them don't believe they should have any kind of reserve account. Um, you know, it's like, no, we're nonprofits. And I'm thinking you should have a reserve account because you know who's who you are failing, your clients and your community. If you can't run when a funder says no, we're pulling out, you put everything at risk, right? You should have a hefty bank account. That you are sitting on as a reserve. Right? The whole mm -hmm. no nonprofit is such a misnomer, and, and people is. mistake it for the mindset of the of the organization. It's not. It's just a tax term. That's all it is. Exactly. Look at it like that. Yeah. You know? And people get a scarcity mindset around it. Like even they, we shouldn't pay our staff that much. And I go, really? You want them to stick around? You want high <laughs> quality staff? Why should we pay staff so they're they're not even making as much as the people we're helping who are coming in on assistance. So anyway, right. I digress. But oh, that's no, one that's of the reasons why. I, no, it's it's fair. But that's one of the reasons I'm passionate about entrepreneurship, because it's a mindset. Um, and honestly, like you were talking about learning how to niche down. I think that's one of the biggest challenges. Like when we work with folks that we work with, we say, what is the story you're trying to communicate? Well, we're communicating to everybody. No, you're not. Who are you trying to reach? Just one right, right now. You're trying right? to reach everybody, you reach no one, right? I mean, right. It's, it's just white noise. Yeah. So that's why I was curious about that shift for you out of corporate and into your own thing. So did you ever have like as a little kid that, like your own business ideas that you wanted to do? You know, I had the stereotypical lemonade stand when I was a kid. I truly did. The hilarious thing about it was that I lived, I grew up in Connecticut in a small town called Westport. We had a small street. I think there were, let's say there were 15 homes on the road and it was a dead end, you know? And so you got them coming and going. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I put my little sign out and of course all the parents would stop because what are you going to do? There's this one little kid sitting at the end of the street. You can't get home without stopping for this kid. But, you know, finally my mom dragged me in and said, you can't keep doing this to these poor people. <laughs> you know, like, Why not? You know? That's what I thought. I mean, they're stopping. But um, I, you know, I had that and I, I did other little entrepreneurial things. My dad traveled a lot and he brought home international candies that was his thing that he would bring home to me and I turned around and sold them at school you know so you know sounds like you and I have similar you know, good friends experience. yeah well and, and like when I see kids selling stuff on our street you know people they don't have a license I'm thinking oh please get get over yourself right I can't help but buy it my husband are you gonna eat that I go are you kidding me that lemonade's got more sugar in it than I can handle but I'm gonna <laughs> gladly take that glass home and water a plant with it or you know it's like that's great yeah. because they're doing they're out there doing something right and being creative i love being able to support kids doing stuff i have some wacky stuff as a result but um it's just it's 
it reinforces that they can have their own agency, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So um, I wanted to think about when you talk about a fulfilling life, you know, you're you're talking about it, you're helping women find their perspective, their purpose. I, I don't know what language you'd like to use, but where do you start with someone? You know, just as background, I one of the businesses that I now kind of oversee, but I started is uh, called Whitehall Divorce Consultation. So I am a CPA, as you know, but I had never really used it in the corporate world. It's just kind of information in the back of my head. So when I went out into the world, I wanted to use as much of the knowledge that I have, but in a more personal way. Long story short, Whitehall Divorce does exactly what it sounds like it does. It helps people, particularly women, um, kind of get their financial situations in order either during the divorce or preferably before they're going in to meet with their attorney and things like that, right? Well, what I discovered was that not only did the clients that I work with need help with the financial end of things, because many hadn't been all that involved in family dynamics of you know finance or whatever, but they needed a plan going forward, you know? So that's how I started working with women. It was just a very kind of natural thing. Um, and I ended up just kind of, post-divorce coaching, you know, what are we going to do next? Because so many women have to pick up a new job, change the job they're doing, make more money some kind of way, right? And so I would help some of them get businesses started and things like that. That's when I discovered the world of coaching truly. And I started, excuse me, change agent coaching, helping women kind of find their power, as it were, Hence, leading to the boldest me, which is a more specific and more group coaching rather than, you know, one on one. And I've partnered with um, my other founder, who's a clinical psychologist. So we have programs that are very specially organized to help with mental fitness, financial fitness, all sorts of things like that for all kinds of women. Our newest endeavor then is Mind Money Divorce, which is obviously, as it sounds, very specifically related to divorce for women who need to get their minds right, you know, to be prepared to work with their attorneys and need to, you know, get the financial end of things together. And we help them do all the paperwork and things like that. So it's always been about where are you right now? Like, what are you feeling? What are you thinking right now? We get so caught up in our thoughts and feelings. And a lot of it has to do with the past. I try to organize people into thinking Let's envision the future, however you envision things. Some people are great at writing things down or journaling. Let's not journal so much about the past. You can talk about your comments about the past, but let's envision the future. So that's kind of where I, you know, come from in working with the women that I work with. Is that the most fun part for you, helping someone envision the future and get there? Yeah, yeah. I know your eyes just light up when you talk about it. So cool. Yeah, we get mired in the past, right? What he yeah. did to me or what she did to me or what happened and da, 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 telling our stories. You can tell your stories, but at a certain point, we have to stop telling stories. And, you know, you tell can tell if you want to keep your story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The more you talk about it, the more you get to keep it. <laughs> exactly. Though I've learned the hard way. You know, it's like, wait a minute. What do I care about that anymore? That's not me or where I'm even headed. You know, right. so lay that burden down, my sister. Exactly. Um, what? What are the most common, I wouldn't say the biggest, but because they might not even be big, but the most common mindset or mind blocks you find people have when they first come to work with you? Um, uh, Thinking small. And and by that, I mean, you know, the negative comments that you have in your head, you know, people call it the inner critic or or whatever, but but thinking I'm never going to make enough money to, or I can't do that. All those negative thoughts, that's what I encounter the most. And so, so a lot of our, our, our mental fitness part of the program is about that, changing that to a more positive mindset, which sounds easy, but it's not. Because if you have, you know, if you have lived in that mindset for so long and maybe somebody's helped you to believe the things, the small things that you have in your head, you know, there's myriad ways that it gets in there, but it's in there. And that's the thing that we come across the most always. I mean, I would say I hate to be, you know, proclaim literally, <clears throat> excuse me, always, but I'd say 90% of the time that's where we're starting, you know. I think head trash is real. Yeah. 
It is, you know, and it can be the real subtle thing. It could be about big things like life things, but it could also be about like forgetting your keys somewhere and then just saying something which you think is innocuous to yourself. Like, I'm so stupid. I can't remember where my keys are. I can't remember where my keys are. Statement of current condition. You're not stupid. You just can't remember where your keys are. But catching those small little things that we say is like a huge, it's a, it's a learned skill to hear yourself, like be the listener to the talker in your head. That's yeah. And that's one of the things that when I work one-on-one with people, that's one of the first things we do because you're right. We don't listen to ourselves. And again, I'm not personally a big journaler, but I believe in writing things down because it forces us to catch ourselves. So that's one of the exercises that we do for a week. You, when you hear something in your head, jot it down. And then as you know, for a couple of days, you do that. And then adding on, you then flip the switch on whatever that negative comment was, flip the switch, you know, so I, I lost my case, oh, I'm an idiot. You know, flip the switch, what's another comment? And you just gave a perfect example of what the opposite is, you know, because we don't, imagine how many negative, how many thoughts we have in a given day, you know, thousands if not hundreds of thousands, right? And And if the vast majority are negative, that's not okay. You're being so unfair to yourself. <laughs> and you have a really crappy day. Yeah, <laughs> you do because our mindset kind of forecasts what we're walking into. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I only laugh because I've gotten a lot better over the years. You know, like, oh, that's familiar. What's that all about? Move along. Move along. Hello, Move better. along. That story's done. That. Yeah. Um, but you still, I, and I can make light of it, but you still have to pay attention you know, and catch yourself. And sometimes you really need someone else to be external to you. Like you're saying, like when you work with someone, it's easy to catch someone else's because it's so automatic for people. It's what I say is automatic. Unless someone says they have that like dog look like, what was that? You know, what are you trying to say? Um, So I think that's a very powerful thing in a coaching relationship. Hey there, everybody. I want to take just a minute out of this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast to tell you that we are officially opening the Sandbox membership in September. So if you're not already on our mailing list, please click the link below to either sign up for the membership or get on the waiting list for the membership. And if you click the link, you'll find more information about what's included, what our plans are, and better yet, you'll be on early enough to help decide what is most important to you to experience in the first three to six months of the membership. So don't wait. Click the link below and join us in the sandbox where fun happens. We get to do a little R&R, little learning, support one another, and really grow and expand in ourselves, in our lives, and impact the world in a profound way way so come on over join us you say people think too small so talk to me about thinking too small financially oh gosh well you know i gave the example of people very often say i'm never going to be able to well never is such a strong word you know we tell our children try not to use never you know because the likelihood is that that's not true Uh, but people think small about where you can be in the future and also you know, very often, particularly, again, I work with people who are coming out of circumstances, like typically mm-hmm. divorce or making a change from one career role to another or something like that. And people are very often just trying to basically break even. I want to be in as good of a circumstance as I am right now. Are you, you know, crazy happy with your current circumstance? And very often the question is, no, not really. I mean, are you kind of struggling to pay the bills or would you would it be horrible if you made more money or if you did something that you actually enjoy? <laughs> People very often when in transition are just trying to make the transition as opposed to looking at it as the opportunity to, if you're going to be doing something different anyway, let's try to big up a little bit. Let's try to, and again, everything's not about money, but if that's something that you need, then sure it is about money. Yeah. But, but thinking big about being happy, you know, are you happy? look, we could be happy, you know, that's, it's not off the table. So people often think small in that, in, in multiple regards, in terms of, you know, lifestyle, uh, valuing yourself, again, being happy, making money, you know, and, and thinking small about this is what I need tomorrow. Well, 
we're all going to need something tomorrow. But what about down the road? I mean, if you're 40 something, 50 something, 60 something, you have plenty of road, you know, ahead of you. Let's think about where you want to be in the future. And that's it sounds so easy on paper, but it's really difficult for people to do when they when they're living kind of in that that mode of just self-preservation. Yeah. Well, and if you're going through a, a transition that you didn't choose, right? So a divorce, a job thing that like you got the good news. Here's the good news. You're not going to be here in a month, right? Um, so you're already emotionally off balance, off kilter. And sometimes just being in that, I just don't want things to get worse, right? And it's not automatic that we say, oh, cool. I don't have to put up with this anymore. I'm going to have something much better. Our mind doesn't immediately go there. It goes to what am I going to do next? You know, and you're right. I mean, I was on a business meeting last week and this guy's asking people like, what are your financial goals for this year? And uh, I don't remember. He says, and I'm going to tell you, he says, after there was a conversation, he goes, okay, how many of you just doubled what you made last year? You know, like you, they made it. And most of people did. And he says, I'm going to tell you, it'd be a lot easier for it to 10x that because you're going to think small. You're going to figure you have to do it all on your own. But if you thought I have to, I'm going to be 10 times bigger, you're going to start thinking bigger. Who do I need to help me? How will this happen? He goes, it's so much easier to go bigger than to stay small. And it, that's a brain. And I go, does that work? But it does, right? You can't think I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do all this big stuff and it's just going to be me doing it by myself. Right. Right. You've already that's that's the art of thinking small. Right. I mean, you're assuming, well, I have autonomy and I have control over everything. You can have control and have a team of people doing stuff that you are not good at. You don't want to do and don't need to do. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I just I do respect that when we're in those tumultuous times of transition, we are not necessarily in our creative flow. And that's a good time to rely on an external person for some reflection and validation and honestly, some leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm switching topics, sorry, rabbit hole, <laughs> shiny penny. Here we go. Um, but I'm thinking about, you know, you talk about legacy and how many folks put off having some sort of a trust or a will or a financial plan? Is that something that you talk to your clients about and the people you're helping? I do, particularly with regard to the women that I work with. Um, so some people are looking for help with their careers and things like that in our in a more general way. And then we've got the divorce people, as I mentioned. I do specifically with them because now they're on their own, and this is probably something they didn't handle when they were married, and now they need to leave legacy or make plans. So we do all of that kind of, you know, creating trust for the kids, making sure there's adequate insurance. But those are all things that everyone should do. It's not just, it just happens to come up naturally in that environment. But, those, but yes, I'm a huge advocate of, we all get so scared about our mortality. I mean, it exists, it's there. And putting those things off doesn't change that. You know, every day is basically a crapshoot, right? Uh, (laughs) You know, we're gifted every single day if we just make it to the end. (laughs) So not preparing, particularly when you have children, not preparing is is not amazing. Uh Uh-oh. Hang on. Also, I've worked with who had this issue, but who are taking care of older parents who who are no longer really capable of making their own decisions. Again, you could get hit by a bus. I mean, I'm not a negative, you know, kind of person, but you also have to have a legacy for them or a plan for them, for all the people who depend on you. Yeah, I think there is that tendency, like you say, to put it off. Um, you know, I did for, I just was like, there's better things we could be doing. There really wasn't. I just right. didn't want to, do, I didn't want to deal with some of the decisions. You know, right. I was like, oh, I don't want to argue about this or that. And it wasn't so bad. Actually, doing it wasn't so bad. You know, the guy who gave us an outline, he says, you guys are in charge of this. I'm just going to tell you the questions. And I'm like, I need control. He goes, you can have all the control you want. <laughs> but honestly, once it was done, now it's maintenance. Like, is does that still work? Yeah. You know, it's what's not- changed? What do we yeah. have to do? But I've also seen it go bad where um, someone said, I'll get around to it. And then it's a 
it's not easy unless you have all of everything, you know, then the your kids or whoever you're hoping gets your assets. Right. May or may not get them. Exactly. And it's not fair, you know, to leave people in that kind of lurch. So. No, and it's not. I don't really think we need to donate to our state. <laughs> That's true. Exactly. You know, yeah. They get plenty. <laughs> they, they, get, they do get plenty. So. Considering our current economic conditions, you know, with the interest rates and consumer loans and all that, are you hopeful? Like, how are you counseling folks to think about that as they try to plan their futures? I'm sorry, you froze kind of in the middle. Sorry, oh, I, I hate when that happens. I know. It's happened to me twice today, so I don't know what's up. So let me back up. Um, okay. So considering our current economic conditions where we've got the interest rates are high, consumer credit card debt is high um, or prevalent, what are you recommending to some of the women who maybe now are out on their own or in terms of being able to purchase a home or where? what are you doing in terms of helping in that area? Yeah, credit is key, obviously. Um, one of the things I, with almost every client, if, the, if they are going to need to have new housing, and often that's the case, you know, sometimes the best case scenario is to sell the family home but most people want to then buy something else or, or at least be able to even rent. You know, again, I mentioned that I live in Metro Atlanta. You know, just renting is you have to have three months worth of rent and rent is high and you have to have great credit, all those things. You know, so people aren't always prepared. Again, credit is king and saving and living within your means. It's such a simple concept, but we are not accustomed to it using the credit cards less and and some people will say to me that sounds fantastic but i can't you know make ends meet that way we have to find i mean you know when they talk about the the debt for the country and and there are certain people in political parties who continue to say you know we can't keep going like this because you know we're not paying for ourselves that's how it is in a household you know sometimes you just have to tighten up the 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 buckle on the on the belt and get rid of some things. We, we get accustomed to having certain things. And when you go through a divorce, things aren't necessarily always going to be exactly the way they were before. So I'm not 100% answering your question, but this is the reality, is that you have to tighten your belt and credit is king. And so if you're building up a huge balance on a credit card and only paying the minimum amount due, you're slowly and slowly and slowly making your credit worse and worse and worse because your outstanding balance is more than it should be based on how much you earn and, you know, your available credit. But also, if you're in a position to and you're offered a, another credit card, you can improve your credit by just getting another credit card. I am not, please don't, don't quote me as having to say, oh, yeah, I need to go out and get a whole bunch of credit cards. But if you just have the one and you're in a, you're in a transition kind of position, if, if you are able to, it might make sense to get another credit card. I'm not saying to use it, maybe make a couple of purchases so it's, you know, it looks like it exists, but it increases the amount of credit that you have available. And then it looks as if you're using, you know, then you are using a smaller amount of credit and that will help improve your credit score as well. Okay, so like thanks. That's always something I've been curious about. Yeah. Um, so, cause I have credit cards I never use. My mm -hmm. husband goes, we should cancel. I says, no. He goes, why? And I says, I don't know. Some a financial person told me one time, don't do that. And I and it never made sense to me. It's, I, it's it sounds crazy, but it's because the calculation for how credit scores are are determined, that's one of the calculations. The amount of available credit versus the amount that you're using. So if oh. you want to change that ratio, one way to do it is to increase the available amount. But don't but that's you the don't thing. use it. You can't use it. Yeah, that card goes in a drawer. It, does. Like, it goes in the every, freezer someplace. Yeah, there's no reason for it. Right. You know? But yeah. it is. I mean, over years, it's like there's no debt anymore except a little bit of the mortgage because of that. But I just he goes, do you really need that card? I says, no, I just I can't remember why. But I remember being told, do not get rid of it. It will wreck your credit score. Yeah. So what do I care? It sits in a drawer. Um, and they'll so, cancel you eventually, you know, if they, if they, oh, if no. a customer who's not using <laughs> 25 it, 25 you know, years, whatever, yeah, who cares? Card to another card, so they'll let me have it. Um, I think they're counting on me needing it at some point. But <laughs> one day. Yeah, yeah. One day I would get, I would get money some other way. 
rather than a huge high interest rate card. I I got out of debt and it wasn't comfortable, but I did exactly what you said. And but I had someone teach me how to do it. You know, he yeah. said, "Show me, show me the dirty laundry." I'm going, I don't want to. I don't want to. That's show you. one of the things that really warms my heart when I get a client when we can do that because sometimes people it's not about having enough credit, it's having too many credit cards and all the debt and all that kind of stuff and people get overwhelmed. Yes, you owe thousands and thousands of dollars that you don't have, but there is a there's a streamlined way to pay it down. You know, write it on a piece of paper. It doesn't have to be complicated. What's the interest rate? How much do I owe? Start with the one. Some people say start with the biggest balance. I say start with the one with the highest interest rate because if you have all of these, you're not paying off the full balance every month on everybody. So let's start with the one where they're stealing the most of your money and pay that one down. And as soon as you pay that down, you're like, oh man, okay, I see, I see what's happening. You know, paying the minimum on these guys. And now another one's gone. And now another, you know, it's very, it's a feel good. It's empowering. Very empowering. Yeah. And that was exactly what he says. No, he goes, don't ask me. I'm going to tell you how to do it. If you're willing to do it and you will be out of debt within 15, 18 months. I go, really? I'm thinking, I don't see it. He goes, it's not, you don't owe that much. You just think you do because it feels that way. It's all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly he says, you pay this one in full every month. You pay that. These, you do the least. And But he went for the high interest, just like mm-hmm. you're saying. He says, we don't want to waste that money. So and another another tip, I don't know if he shared this with you. You probably maybe didn't need it at the time. Another tip that I share with clients who are also trying to build credit because maybe they only had credit with their spouse is to use, if you have the one or the two credit cards, use the one credit card for everything. Buy your groceries with it. And, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, I always use my debit card. Well, that's fine and dandy, but you you are going to buy these groceries regardless, right? So if you use your debit card, that means that you have the cash for it, right? Use your credit card for everything you would normally use your debit card or cash for, and you're building up credit by using it because then you'll go into your checking account and pay off your credit card. So you're yeah, helping to build your – yeah. Well, and if you've got any kind of a benefit one, right, like so travel miles or anything. Oh, yeah. yeah. You have those points. Exactly. Before you know it, you've got a free air flight. Right, or cash back or something. Cash yeah. back is always nice. Yeah. No, I think I think when I someone helped me start shifting my mindset around money and not feeling bad about making poor decisions at a certain point in my life, I just felt more free. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's just money. Yeah. I'm not perfect, mm-hmm. but I am better than I was. And, you know, and today things are a lot different because of the discipline and that kind of thing and staying focused. Yeah. So um, tell me what is one of the things you are looking most forward to in 2024? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm one of those people who really likes an even year. No reason or rationale, but I love a good even year. I always feel like I do my best work in an even year, and I have a lot of fun. Um, not that I hated 2023, but I, I, I wasn't sad to see it go. Um, I started off with a bang, as I meant, you know, a, a book, a website, and a whole new business line for us that we just launched this month as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to having more fun. I didn't have a lot of fun, fun in 2023. I was working really hard and I understand and appreciate the work-life balance thing. I did it to myself intentionally. So this year I'm planning to do a lot more things that, that I enjoy, like going skiing and, you know, going to the Caribbean. And I mean, they're very simple things. I'm not going to climb Kilimanjaro or anything, you know, ambitious like that. I just want to plug in more fun every month, you know, Every month, like clockwork. So that's my goal this year, and I'm looking forward to it. So for a gal from Georgia, are you talking water skiing or snow skiing? That's a great question. Grew up in Connecticut, so I can water ski, but that's not, yeah. That's no, not what you're looking for. That's not my thing. I've got, I would not want a video of me water skiing to get out. <laughs> well, you know, comedies are good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Allison, I want you to do two things for me. One is to picture the young women that you wrote your book for, and now you have your website for the kids' site for. Think of a a word of wisdom you would like to leave for them or encouragement. And then the same thing for those of us who are not that age anymore. Okay. Yeah. This is a quote, but I think it was Tina Fey. 
who said, you know, I mean, I get it 100% right, but uh, don't be the kid who's, who's standing on the diving board. You know, don't be that kid who doesn't jump, basically. That's what I would say to kids. I would say to adults, don't be that one who stands there and doesn't and doesn't do. If you have a thought, what is the worst thing? I mean, unless it's murdering somebody or something horrible or illegal, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? If you have an idea for a job or a, a, a business or something like that, it applies to both children and adults. If you're an adult and you have a job, you can start a side gig. That's why they created the term side gig. You know, you can try it out. You don't have to go all in, but that's there's no excuse for not trying. That's my there's no excuse for not trying. And I I would love for young kids, particularly girls, to believe that because you see so many girls when they get to be 18, 19, 20, they're just afraid to take a leap, you know. But if you start young, then you're always kind of a little bit fearless. You're always leaping. Sometimes yeah. you land, sometimes you crash, but you still just get back on. That's right. Belly flat. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Allison, I've had so much fun talking to Me you. Me too. Got the best energy ever. Thank you. Thank you. This is great. And I really wish you and your business all the best for 2024, an even year. <laughs> Wait, tell me, what month are you born in? September. Oh, I wouldn't have thought that. I don't know why. I don't know why. I had a feeling you were like a spring baby. Oh, okay. Who knows why? Yeah, why not? I'm, I come up with oddball stuff. So <laughs> at any rate, have a great rest of your day. And um, here's to fun every month. I, I second that adventure for you. And Thank you, sir. I look forward to sharing you with our audience. Great. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic business coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. Please remember to rate, leave a five-star review, and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Till next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.